It's surprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives It is officially 2022 And I could not be more excited for that 2021 wasn't all bad, but I'm excited for a new year. I always am, so that's not that's nothing new on this front, but I'll tell you what, we're going to get into why I am even more excited for this year in a second. Before we do, I want to give a shout out to our new sponsor here on the show, a sponsor that's going to be with us for a while, and that is the Eugene Marathon. I love this race, and I'm telling you, I'm not just saying it. I'm going out there. We're going to be talking about that in a second. That's for sure. I'm going to be heading out there May 1st, the Eugene Marathon. They got the 5K, they got the half marathon, and they got the marathon. It all finishes at Hayward Field in beautiful Eugene, Tracktown, USA. What more can you say? Well, I'll give you some more things. Not only that, it is a top 20 Boston Marathon qualifier. Back in 2019, the last year they had this race in person. Last year was virtual. 2019 wasn't. 24% of their runners qualified for Boston and six qualified for the trials. And not only is that stat amazing in comparison to basically any other race out there. I was just at CIM. That race is fantastic too. But think about Eugene. They're having theirs on May 1st, which means if you qualify for Boston at Eugene, you're probably not running the next year because you're running Boston in April. You're not going to be running Boston mid-April and then Eugene on May 1st. So that means not only do a lot of people qualify for Boston at this amazing historic race, but then they go to Boston, they fill the race with new runners, and then those people qualify for Boston. So if you're looking for a fast, fun, historic race, just like I am, head to Eugene today. Go to eugenemarathon.com and check it out. So There it is. I already gave it up. I'm going to be running Eugene Marathon, and I am so excited for that. We're going to get into my episode with Alexis McCoy in a second, kind of the recap to our Marathon Milestone series, and it was a really, really good one. So you're going to – if you don't want to hear what I have to say, we're going to do a little cold open here um, about my running and where I'm going to be going in 2022, which I'm really excited about. A lot of people have said they love those episodes. But if you're someone who doesn't, hey, fast forward a few minutes, you'll hear Alexis in a second, and she is absolutely worth it. With that said, I'm going to talk about this for a second. If you've already heard the the CIM recap, you know how that went, and you know the things that I wanted to work on for 2022. Well, let me tell you, we're not even a month out from the race. I'm feeling great. Feeling so good. Back to training as normal. So this past weekend, 12 miles on Friday, 12 hilly miles. Yesterday, eight and a half with hill strides as well. I'm feeling really, really good. And I'll tell you what, this is the first time I run a marathon where, or trained for a marathon, where I was basically coming from a place of pretty good fitness. And it's really exciting. The past marathons I've done, Basically, I signed up for those races as a way to kind of inspire and get myself, um, you know, just really in the mode of, all right, it's now or never. Let's make it happen. Let's commit to training. And that was worth it. I mean, in all of those cases, I was able to do just that. I worked really hard for each one of those races. But I haven't gone from a place of fitness into marathon training. And that's what I'm doing now. And it is really exciting. So I am so I'm so pumped up for it because even right now, I mean, shoot, my 12 mile Long run 
On Friday, it was about 705 feet of elevation gain with almost all of it coming in the first half of the run. And from a time and effort perspective and just how I felt at the end of 12 miles, that was the best long run I've had, period, in years. So for that to be the first long run of the cycle, to be the best one, better than any long run I had getting ready for CIM says a lot. And I am, uh, I'm really uh, just pumped. I'm so, as you can tell, I keep saying it over and over again. I'm just really, really excited for this training cycle. And I know it's going to go well. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a great spot to be in. The one time where I trained for a marathon in a similar circumstance from a fitness perspective was about 10 years ago. It was after, so it was 2012. So, you know, it was uh, the spring of 2012. I was trying to get ready for the Providence Marathon. And we, um, had basically moved in with my in-laws for two, uh, two, six weeks or so. My wife was pregnant with our first child, and we were basically having our kitchen redone. And it was an old house, and there was dust everywhere. So we kind of bunked up with my in-laws because we just didn't want my wife breathing in that in that mess. Um, she didn't want to breathe it in either, but she was pregnant at the time. So we definitely wanted to be careful. So I was living with my in-laws. I wasn't sleeping a ton, waking up really, really early doing these really hilly routes. And I say that as that's exactly where I live now. I live a str- across the street from my in-laws. So I know exactly the, the routes I was doing because I run them even today. So had that experience and got really fit. So I actually ran the New Bedford half and Alexis and I talked about the New Bedford half uh, kind of near the end of our conversation in a minute and ran really well just as a training run. Didn't have a didn't have a watch on. This was a pre-GPS, but even then you could wear a Timex and you could see what the how fast you're running each mile, just manually lap it out and uh, just ran. Basically, you know, a little bit, a little bit easier than threshold pace. Felt awesome. Finished in 132, which is almost exactly seven minute pace, which was just a really exciting time for me. I had no idea what kind of fitness I was in. And um, that was just I was so pumped to say, hey, Providence Marathon is in a few weeks. What could I do? Well, I'll tell you what. A week after that race, I couldn't even run a mile. It was a classic case of burnout. And it had some some testing done and stuff like that to make sure everything was all right. But li- I'm not I'm not being hyperbolic here. I couldn't run a mile around our neighborhood. It was a little scary at first to be like, wow, I, I have to walk this? Like I just ran. Just ran seven minute pace for a half marathon. How come I can't run around the neighborhood? But I couldn't. And that was that was the last time I trained for a marathon before CIM this year. And uh that obviously left a little bit to be desired, but here I am going back at it, and I am so excited. So I'm going to be chronicling the um, basically my training for 2022 over on YouTube. So the YouTube channel, I, I started it um, a few months ago with the idea of it being really heavy on the shoe tube review, the, the <laughs> shoe tube reviews, a shoe tour, the running shoe reviews on YouTube. Uh, and I definitely started doing that. I kind of didn't, as CIM was getting closer, I wasn't really dialed into that. Don't worry. I'll be putting out shoe reviews, you know, two to three, four times a month, uh, in 2022. I already have a couple in the hopper right now, so that's definitely going to happen, but I'm also going to be chronicling my training, which is going to be really exciting. So I'm not going to be doing it as much on here. I will on occasion, but really focusing over on YouTube. So the links for that are in the show notes. Also, If you just search Rambling Runner on YouTube, there's only one of me, so it'll be right there. Super easy to find. And uh, yeah, I got big, big goals going into Eugene. So what are those goals going to be? Well, I'm more of, you know, I, I, I think intermediate goals are great for sure for some people. For me, I'm much more into like having 
big pie-in-the-sky goals and then much more granular goals. Whereas like the yearly goals, um, again, this is just one, everybody's different. So for me, those aren't as, they're just a little bit more arbitrary, right? So for me, I have huge, huge, huge goals for, you know, two, three, four years down the line. And I don't want to get into them right now. They're just too big to talk about. <laughs> for me right now, I'm just a little too insecure about saying it out loud, but I'm not too insecure to, to fully believe and invest in them. But for my age group, Boston qualifying time is 310. I already gave you the UG Marathon Boston qualifying stats. My feeling is, why not? Why can't I do that? I fully believe that I have the ability to make, get that done. I know I'm going to train hard enough. So let's go after it. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It's not going to be the be all end all. I'm much more process driven than intermediate goals. But I'm, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Like, can I get to 310 or faster? That would be really exciting. Uh, but even more exciting is going through the process and, and having the kind of runs that I had this weekend. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm looking at. Now, I'm one weekend to the marathon training cycle. So I'm <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, stick hard and fast with goals right now. It's more of like, hey, this would be fun and exciting, but I don't need those kind of goals to get out the door. So I'm not going to be uh, completely tied to them. But ultimately, when ra once race day comes, I'll look at my fitness and we'll see what happens from a race plan perspective uh, about was it May 20th or so? Not May 20th, I'm sorry, March 20th, about six weeks before the race, five or six weeks before. Um, I will be running a local half marathon here in Rhode Island, uh, the Crazy Clam Half, uh, which will be really exciting. So it's a smaller half marathon. Uh, if you are in the area, come on out. The course is really nice. A lot of it actually is on the bike path on the East Bay, uh, the eastern side of, uh, of Rhode Island, just south of Providence, going through East Providence and then into Barrington and then coming back on the road that parallels the bike path. It's a uh, course that I've run in the past. It's a really popular half marathon course uh, for the um, race directors who are putting this on and the the just the service, the company, the I think it's Multisport Rhode Island or whatever um, that it handles it. They, they run a lot of half marathons on this course. So I'm really excited for that. Maybe you can hear my dog. He's really excited too. He's barking every time someone walks by our house. He's getting into it. But that's where I am as a runner. I am just so so excited for big things in 2022. I hope you are as well. So before we get into it, make sure you go check out eugenemarathon.com today and join me out there because not only is it a great race, but we're going to be doing a lot, a lot of live show type stuff there. We've done that kind of stuff at CIM before. We've done it at Houston. And this year we're doing it in Eugene Tracktown, USA. So let's get into my conversation with Alexis McCoy. Alexis McCoy in the house. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be back. Well, I'll tell you what, the people have wanted to hear. So many folks have reached out and said, what's going on? Marathon Milestones with Alexis McCoy, the alliteration. Where is it? I can't find it <laughs> in the episode <laughs> countdown. If this is your first, this is your first Alexis McCoy episode, just so you know, this is the fourth in a series um, of four that we were planning on doing. And there were basically Alexis had ventured out to do three fall marathons in succession. So Boston, New York, and then the California National Marathon, all roughly four weeks apart. Her first two forays in this adventure were awesome. Two PRs, two amazing performances. And we've been detailing what's happened in between. So, so basically, stop this. Go back and listen to those. 
because we're going to, to do a recap of this whole whole fall and also talk about why you didn't run the California International Marathon and also basically why your Instagram is private because people want to know what's going on. They can't follow you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and every time I share your stuff on, on, um, in my, uh, I'm just, I now I'm, I didn't tell you this offline, so I'm just making you laugh here, but I, I, I share your stuff on my Instagram story. If you're like, I can't get into this, this, this account. I can't even see what you're posting. True. Very, so, very true. Anyway, anyway, you've done, you had, again, you didn't run a California national marathon, but let me say it again. You had an amazing fall as a marathoner and as a runner. I mean, two PRs, back-to-back marathons, world marathon majors, four weeks apart, that is an unbelievable performance. I want to make sure that that isn't lost. So I want to throw that out there. With that said, let's talk post-New York because we've already done the New York episode. All right. So post-New York, how did you feel, you know, one week out and how were things trending towards CIM? So post-New York, I took one day off and got right back to it. And New York was one of the most memorable races and days of my life. So I feel like I just was taking that high I felt in New York City and wanting to keep the momentum going. I felt extremely strong and healthy and somehow very well rested. And I felt physically, I felt better and um, I recovered quicker than I did after Boston. So Boston, I only took one day off as well, but my quads were pretty beat up because just the hills. And New York, I was ready to go. I was ready to go one day rest. I had no pain, no soreness, and no one is more shocked than me. I was, at any time as a runner, you're like, did I fly too close to the sun? You're always a little scared. Like, will I walk, will I wake up tomorrow? And, you know, my hamstring will hurt. But it was all positive, all all great. And th- that first week out, I wa- I hopped right back into um, hopped right back at, into workouts. And I think my first my I think I did an eighteen miler that Sunday. So I think I responded to that one. I was like, "You are insane! What is going on over there in Maine?" Yes, yes. And the thing that really benefited me is that my body responds extremely well to the colder weather. I am amazed at anyone that runs in Florida or anywhere. Yeah, in the shout South. out to our Houston fam who are dealing with 85 degree temperatures this week for their workouts. I am just amazed that anyone could excel in heat or high dew points. My body shuts down during it. So the colder it gets, the more my body likes it. So, you know, New York, I even felt like New York could have been colder. I would have liked that. I thought it would have been, but it really, it really wasn't. And so just each week, it got a little bit colder as we inched towards California International Marathon. And I felt better every single day. And I was texting my coach, putting my workout notes in the app and saying, this is insane. I don't know what's going on, but keep like, let's keep with these workouts. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep rolling. The momentum was there and the momentum was insane. And in that coaching relationship, I know every coach and athlete has a different one. Um, so I want to paint a broad brush, but like, hey, this is how your coach deals with all of her athletes. But was she going kind of like week to week, day to day, or was it like the whole month mapped out between New York and CIM? She had the whole month mapped out, but she checks in as each workout is completed. And we also 
have the relationship where if if something turns out, if a workout turns into a dumpster fire, I you know I know that that's a reason to reach out and say mm, something is off. You know maybe we scale it back, but that 18 miler went really well. And then the following week was 20 miles and that, that went really well. And everything was just trending in the right direction. And, you know, I was in contact with her and and keeping things so positive and saying things like, I don't, I honestly don't care what happens because I'm having the time of my life. It's like you care. Like I somehow was finding that balance that I had never been able to achieve before where I was having a ton of fun, but also feeling like competitive and excited and ready to tackle a goal. And it's hard to have that balance where you want to achieve something, but you also don't want to take it too seriously and burn yourself out. And I found that middle ground that I haven't been able to find before. Wow, that's really exciting and really well put. You're right, because you, you can get those moments and sometimes you either don't have the competitive side and you're like really fit or like maybe you're like you're, you're itching to race, but your fitness level isn't kind of where you would like it to be. So you kind of have that nagging like, oh, you know, like I wish I was X, Y, Z fit like I was before. And sometimes it can be and some of this is just so like it's just self-perception more than anything else. But it can really be hard sometimes to marry the two. Yes. Yes, I and I'm going. I'm going to butcher her name, so forgive me. But um, there's a runner that I follow on Instagram. Her name is Carly Cherie. Am I saying it? Am I saying it I right? Think, yeah. She's now sponsored by New Balance. I don't think she would consider herself a Correct. professional runner. And she's runner. actually yeah, she's actually a coach for Lift Run Perform. Yes. Yes. And she's been on this podcast. Cherie is her married name. She formerly was known as Carly Gill, and has been on a lot of podcasts, including my own. Correct. Correct. So. I was following her, and this was a couple years ago when she qualified for the Olympic trials at Berlin. And I will never forget seeing her photos of her running Berlin. And she had the biggest smile on her face from mile six to mile 12 to mile 25. And she didn't look like she was in an ounce of pain. And I'm sure she was. She was clearly pushing herself. She qualified for the Olympic trials at Berlin. It's not easy. And I remember reading her recaps and feeling the joy that she clearly felt. And nothing about her journey was easy or uncomplicated. She even had a small injury in her buildup to Berlin. But something about watching her talk about her journey with such joy and forgiveness and not taking herself too seriously and realizing, wow, okay, so I can do something really hard, but also have fun and also smile through it. It just never occurred to me that these things can coexist. And there you are doing it. And of, of all the, and after all the things like these incredibly, you know, challenging performances that you had done and were draining. And yet here you are on, on basically no recovery, feeling these feelings that you would aspire to have in preparation for a race that you were obviously eagerly looking forward to. And, um, you know, and then I guess life life had other plans. Yeah. So uh, it was really interesting timing, my coach texted me about like 11 a.m. Tuesday, the Tuesday before CIM. So 
Um, it was November 30th, and CIM was that following Sunday. And um, around, and we had a race plan. We discussed it. We back and forth. I got on the group text with all of our athletes running CIM, and it was just such a fun, exciting moment of like, this is amazing. I've got my race plan, and this is way faster than I ever thought I would possibly have a race plan. And can I ask what was the? Yes. So the race plan was, she gave me a range of um, paces. So she said 6.55 to 7-minute pace. So basically 3.02 to 3.04 finishing time. Yes. Yeah, so, and I had just run a 3.08 at New York and 3.13 at Boston before that. So to me, I'm, I'm blown away. And instead of being intimidated and maybe pushing back on my coach, like I would usually do, I would usually feel like I was having imposter syndrome and saying like, are you sure? I don't know. But this time I was so excited that she saw in me what I was really feeling deep down. Like let's time, this is the time to do something scary and big. This is number three of three. Let's go for it. And when she said 655 to seven, I thought, I'm not going to tell her that I can't do that. I'm going to believe her, going to take her belief in me and let it propel me forward. And I'm having the time of my life. So why don't we just go for it? It kind of felt like let's, let's burn, the, let's burn everything down. Let's, let's have the time of our life and, and just push, just push as hard as we could. So that was, that was like 11 a.m. on November 30th and everything was all systems go. And then um, my older dog, I have, uh, we had two dogs. Uh, my older dog had just turned 11 this summer. And we had adopted this sweet senior dog. Um, his name was Hector when we adopted him. We kept that name. We had adopted him in April of this year. So he was really still kind of new to our family um, just had him a little over like six, seven months and um, super healthy dog. So even though, yeah, he's old, he's 11, super healthy. He would go for runs with me and he was a big hiker and really playful. Um, in the week leading up to CIM, his health had taken a little bit of a turn for the worse, but we weren't too stressed out because it wasn't anything severe. And, um, the Tuesday, November 30th, we had a vet service that actually comes to your house, which is, which is amazing because if your dog has a lot of anxiety, instead of taking him to the vet, you have this great vet come to your door and, and do an evaluation at the door. And so, um, vet was at our door and told her our concerns and she put all of his scans and previous records together and, basically diagnosed him with a heart condition. And it made sense to us once she explained it. And before she left, we took Hector for a quick walk so the vet could see some of his mobility issues. We could figure out what's going on. And after we walked inside from the walk, very short walk, he collapsed and died. And it was instant and it was extremely traumatizing and we weren't prepared to say goodbye and I just you know I think when you're in shock you try to still go through the motions and so I kept it was like two different experiences where I was like this dog that I love so incredibly much has just died 
I'm also supposed to be packing and getting ready to go to a marathon. It's this big goal that I've been leading up to. And it felt like I was on two different planets. So it took me a little bit to kind of figure out where I was at mentally and emotionally. I bet. I mean, even if, I mean, shoot, let's be real. Like, you know, if uh, if a dog, you know, is, you know, they're a part of your family, right? We have dogs and, and they're a part of our family. And, you know, if even if you see it coming from a mile away and we're, I'm kind of in that situation with our dog uh, right now, um, you know, it, does, it doesn't lessen the effect. But obviously to have that kind of surprise and that shocking, the shocking nature of it, obviously is such a curveball, like you said, like it, it goes from, hey, not only is this a tragedy, but it's just the shock of it is is um is a big one so in the aftermath of that no you have like basically like what two days until you're probably scheduled to fly out um when did not leaving uh and staying home when did that start to germinate in your mind i would say wednesday night so hector died on tuesday afternoon and then um wednesday night i mentioned to my husband said i don't know if this is the best idea and i was it was interesting how I framed it because I still didn't want to believe that I was struggling. I kind of framed it to my husband as, should I really be going out of town when this is our five-year-old son first direct experience with death? And he was really struggling with it and asking a lot of great questions. And it felt like an important moment as a mom and a parent to be there with him. And I wasn't sure what that represented to him. If his dog dies, we talk about it. And then I just move on. I just get on a plane and leave. And so I kept framing it as, oh, I need to be here for our son. This is going to be really hard on him. So that was Wednesday night. And then Thursday morning, I woke up and it was like, I'm framing it and kind of putting this on my son, like I need to stay for my son. But really what I need to do is I need to rest and take time for myself. I, it's okay to admit that I'm really struggling and I was not in a good place mentally and emotionally. And I think it's important to talk about here the physical side of things because at the end of the day... As much as we try to think that our body doesn't keep score, it does. So, for instance, the day Hector died, I didn't eat. I didn't eat. I had eaten, like, breakfast before the vet had come. But then, obviously, I didn't eat lunch. I didn't eat dinner. I didn't sleep at all, like, maybe an hour Tuesday night. So I knew deep down I was digging Myself, I was just getting deeper and deeper into a hole, like nutrition wise, sleep wise, physically. And even the day he died, I went out and I went out and ran. And I was like, oh, this will help me process things. But really, my body was already starting to fall apart. And I, I was in physical pain. Like I was like, oh, I'm just sad. But really, I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, and I felt broken. Yeah, when you had that conversation with your husband, 
Was it one of those conversations where there's so many of us, so many of us who have confidants, whether that's our partner or a family member or just a really close friend, we have sometimes we have a, those conversations where we're asking their opinion because we generally value their opinion and we're just not sure. We're just trying to gather information. Sometimes we have those conversations where we we ask their opinion, but we're hoping that they say a certain thing that kind of validates how we currently feel, but maybe don't feel like we have the gravitas in the moment to pull the trigger on that decision. And which which one would you qualify like that that conversation with your with your spouse or maybe it was outside of that paradigm? I definitely bounce more things off of him than I do anyone else, especially when it comes to running, because he is not a runner. And that's I find that helpful because he can see it in a different viewpoint. He has he so we've been together for 14 years. So he has seen all of this transition, all of my, you know, he's been there for the majority of my marathons and all these races and the ups and the downs. So, and he's seen races that I didn't finish or races that I didn't start. And he's seen my reaction afterwards. So he can see it from a bird's eye view that I can't sometimes grasp and see myself. So his initial reaction when I told him and put it in the context of, oh, you know, am I a bad mom? Like if I, if I go and race this weekend and I'm not here for my son after the death of his dog. And, uh, he said to me right away, I'm really concerned you will, you will regret this decision. And that's how he framed decision it. Decision not to run. The decision not to run. Okay. He, he didn't want me to feel like I should feel guilty for getting on a plane and, and flying. And he was like, I know you feel absolutely terrible right now and devastated and sad. And you're really worried about our son. But I think if you got on a plane and you, you know, saw your running friends and you got out there, once you get out there, you'll feel better. And I also thought to myself, yeah, but I could get out there and feel worse and be alone because my family wasn't coming with me. And I can't imagine anything sadder than sitting in a hotel room by yourself and crying and not sleeping and then being like, okay, let's get on the bus and go run a marathon. <laughs> I mean, just being real. <laughs> right, for sure. And, you know, I think it's, I'm so glad that you started with how you felt as a runner prior to getting into this part of the conversation. So it's not even like, hey, things aren't going well. My dog has passed. This wasn't meant to be Right. And it's just like, it's kind of like, all right, this obviously wasn't going to happen. This was never going to happen. As opposed to like, hey, things were going great. And then this tragedy occurs. And then it really becomes this decision making point for you. And, you know, I can, I can totally see where you're coming from on all of this. So here you are, you follow a lot of people who ran that race. You had a lot of, like you mentioned, you're in a group text with a bunch of people who are running that race, people that you know very well. When that day came, and, you know, how, how did you approach just like seeing either results come in or following people on the tracker or stuff like that? Like, how did you process that experience from afar? I once I had made the decision and one of the ways I know I made the right decision was. I felt instant relief. I felt instant relief once I had emailed my coach, it was really hard to just put it in writing and say, really say, like, I'm not in a good place. Because part of me felt embarrassed because we have been taught as a society, toughen up, 
and just suck it up and get through it. You'll be a better person on the other side of it. And I think there is a place for that. But we've gotten it muddled in with when you really do need to take a break and you really do you know, need help with your mental health, it is okay to take a break and it is okay to rest. But it's very hard to admit that. And I don't know why we've created this culture, especially like the older we get, we're so tired and we're overwhelmed. So why not take a break? And when I emailed my coach, it was a sigh of relief just to hit send. And she responded immediately. She didn't even respond to the email. She just went straight to text and was like, Alexis, I just saw your email and you should never feel guilty for taking time for yourself, for taking care of yourself. And she can relate to it as well. Her family lost a dog and one of her daughters, you know, is still upset about the dog years later. And it was just, it's always nice to hear from someone that you respect and that you have a long relationship with, say, I've been there. I know how it feels. I don't want you to judge yourself. There was not not an ounce of her saying, well, maybe, well, maybe. And so I felt instant relief and almost like it was the first time I had taken a breath all week. Like relief washed over me. And because of that relief, because I felt like I could just relax and allow myself to rest and recover, I had the time of my life tracking everyone at CIM. Like I was the crazy person at home. Like I tracked you, Matt. Like I tracked all my running friends, all of my coaches, athletes. Um, I had planned on running side by side with Lauren and Lauren I had run with at Boston. She was one of the reasons Lauren and Monica why I had such a great race. And so Laura and I had very similar race plans, and it was fun tracking her and seeing her have such a good day. I mean, people had stellar days, and it was perfect weather. I was like, this is the CIM magic. This is why I tell people to run CIM, because that course, no, it's not a piece of cake, but something about, like, the hills are I can forgiving. testify to that, man. Yeah, yeah. People, people kind of like say like, "Oh, it's a net downhill." I'm well, like, I think I think that they they do themselves. I sorry, Kasha, they they do themselves no favors with the elevation chart that they put online. It's like you know when you can go to Strava and you can have your paces. Like it can be like the jagged peaks. This is not on the mobile. This is on the computer, or you can pick like the smoothed version, and it kind of like evens it out, which is like makes a lot of sense. Our GPS watches so many variances. It's nice to see the smooth version. They do that with the elevation chart for sure. Like it does not at all show what that elevation is actually like. Um, and it's it's interesting to go through it because, again, I train on moderate hills all the time. So it was no big deal to me. But I was like, I can see how someone look at this elevation chart and get a picture of what this race would be like and then run it and be like, wow, this has nothing like what I expected. Yeah. And I feel like as, as a runner, we've all been tricked before. We've all been. <laughs> and I went back as I was getting closer to CIM out of curiosity because I saw that elevation chart pop up and I'm like, gosh, I, I know it's not that downhill. But I remember being told that in 2018. I went back to my data from 2018 in my Garmin uploads. And I looked at the actual each mile elevation gain, elevation loss. And you could tell every mile, like there was uphill, downhill, uphill, downhill. And I was like, that's right. Like it definitely is not straightforward like you think it is. 
Right. And uphills are more taxing than downhills are not taxing. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's a linear downhill. Like it really plays like a course that's flat in terms of elevation gain. Because again, again, this and this this is why like Strava on their gap, you know, their their grade adjusted pace model going uphill as a much more much more impactful effect on your gap pace than that same hill going downhill. It's not a corresponding number. It's not like, all right, uphill, it's minus 10 seconds per mile. Downhill, it's plus 10 seconds a mile. It's more like a factor of like three or four in that model. And that's the exact reason. Yeah, I do tell people, and you can correct me because now it's been a while since I, I ran it, but I do tell people the last 10K is good. It, like it oh, is for a sure. fast. It's for a fast sure. it's last definitely 10k. Flat. And definitely it's, flat. that's where you need it. Whereas New York City, the last 5k tries to murder you. So the last 10k of CIM I think is built for runners and it's built for a fast finish. So there is that benefit and then the weather is typically typically really good. Well, I think we've all sent those emails in our life that either we procrastinated on or we didn't want to send. And as soon as we sent it, we had that rate that 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 overwhelming sense of relief kind of wash over us. And I know as you were describing it and doing such a good job of describing it, I was hearkening back to the moments of my life where I felt that exact same feeling. And it does it does have that instant catharsis feeling to it. Obviously, you were still, you know, mourning the loss of of Hector, but from that part of your life perspective, it's like, okay, that part's done. All nice and cleaned up. I can now focus on this other stuff. Um, so I can totally see that. So Alexis, I have to ask, this has been a wild, a wild season for you. And one <laughs> that um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but seems to be potentially paradigm shifting. So what are some of the things and some of the lessons or takeaways that you would take from this experience? Because it really has been remarkable. I think the biggest takeaway that I want others to know is that your journey is so completely individual. I think we get on into this social media bubble of this is what so-and-so did to break three hours in the marathon or so-and-so got really fast by only doing one marathon a year and focusing on speed the rest of the year. And I was so hesitant to even admit to people that I had signed up for three marathons because I didn't want to hear all the doubt and all the naysayers. I didn't want to hear all the negative feedback, which, you know, I definitely got people being like, your mileage is too high. You're going to get, you're going to injure yourself. And all I knew is deep down, I knew my body would respond to it. And I trusted that. And I knew I had a coach in my corner that would say, yeah, it's crazy, but we're going to see if we can do it. And if you don't end up doing it, like, who cares? Then you, then you learn something about yourself in the process. I, I learned in this process, like, trust yourself, trust your gut. You know what you're capable of. You are, the, are not the same runner as the people next to you. You're not the same runner as the people that you follow on Instagram. It's shocking how different things are. What, what one thing works for one person, it may not work for you at all, which is frustrating, but also a, a relief. It allows you to be an individual. Um, and then on that was more of like the physical side of it. And on the mental, emotional side, I learned that I can push myself, but also have a lot of fun and I can 
focus on a big goal and push myself for a certain time, but also be forgiving of myself. It's been, I've been running for 27 years. I've been running since I was 10 and I have been, I feel like I've always been on the one side of the coin too far in, too all in, too serious, too, too like overly dedicated where I was, you know, no social life and taking it way too seriously. And then the flip side of, I'm not enjoying this and I'm not going to take it seriously. And I'm just going to have fun and I'm going to tell everyone I don't care. And somehow in this crazy process of training for three marathons this fall, I found a way to smile and enjoy time with friends and really not care what was on the finish line clock, but also push myself. I don't know if that makes sense, but it it was such a fun learning process that like I can push myself, but also have a good time. Right. This is like a great reminder of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Are you familiar with this? No. Okay. Well, it's something that you definitely know in practice, maybe not by name. So (laughs) the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically people who are amateurs in a subject think they know far more than they actually do. Like they read an article, they listen to a podcast, all of a sudden now they're an expert. And vice versa is true, where sometimes people get so ingrained, kind of like the more you know, the less that you think that you know type feeling. And you can we can see this in marathoning all the time, right? There's people who, you know, couch to marathon, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to CrossFit four times a week, run twice a week. I'm going to break three hours. I can applaud the enthusiasm and the ambition, but it's probably a bit misguided in most cases. And yet, The same can be said for the other end, right? People who I've done this forever. This is kind of my zone. I'm not, I know what kind of runner I am. And they don't necessarily embrace what their potential is. Maybe like the amateur or not that the novice has, has might, might embrace their, their potential, um, maybe in a misguided way, but you know, both sides of the Dunning-Kruger effect can can have their own limitations. And that's the fun thing about this endeavor for you, that you were not new to this. You, As you mentioned, you've been running for a very long time. You've, been, you've done a lot of marathons and you took this on knowing that, hey, this wasn't going to be easy for anybody, but you also knew what you were potentially capable of. You had a coach who also loves to race and race hard and do all sorts of wild adventures, who was also there to back you up. And it's so exciting to see somebody who has as much experience as you do, take on this challenge that most of the time doesn't fall to someone at that end of the spectrum. Obviously, you're still a young person, but you do have a lot of experience, which is really exciting. So kudos to you for taking it on, because I feel like most people wouldn't have. And not only did you take it on, Alexis, (laughs) you've documented the whole thing on a show that gets listened to, you know, a fair amount. So what was that like having to, again, I'm not, you know, this is not like, rambling runner talking about the rambling runner podcast here (laughs) but what is it like not only doing it which was the the endeavor the whole time like i came to you after you had announced this this was not like a joint venture in any sense of the word however you did document this the whole way through so what was that like um kind of hanging over this or maybe you didn't even really think about it all that much that in the beginning it was super terrifying to me because as anyone who's listened to the whole series knows, this was not planned. Like you decided this at the end of the first. You were like, "Oh, you're gonna. We'll do a quick one, and we'll talk." About I know. I really thing. threw that at you. I did, at, the, at the end of the first podcast, I'm like, "We're gonna make this a series." You're like, uh, "Okay." I thought you were joking. <laughs> I thought you were joking. And then whenever 
whenever I was like, yeah, sure. And as I was training for Boston, I really wasn't feeling great during my training for Boston. Of course, it's like that August, beginning of September where it's still hot. And you're like, is this fitness ever going to come? And I remember at one point, I came very close to sending you a message and being like, I am not the right person for this. This is, I was really struggling from imposter syndrome. What did I get myself into? I wanted to back out from the whole thing. And then I just had some time to really step back and be like, what am I really scared of? What am I really worried about here? And this is why you were the perfect person to be on this. This is why. Because if you were just like, yeah, whatever, this is old hat. Like, that wouldn't have been interesting. <laughs> it was just so, and I realized I was, I was getting too consumed and worried about what other people thought of me and their perception of me and their definition of what I should be throughout the process. And I thought the only thing people want me to be is to be real and be myself. And that's why I like Rambling Runner. I had to remind myself the reason why... I enjoyed your whole journey of breaking 40 by 40 was because you were so damn real and down to earth and you didn't hold back from sharing your real life struggles where I think some people would have hidden some of that. I was like, that's that's what I want to be. I want to be someone who's honest and say, yeah, I didn't run the last marathon because my mental health was in a really bad place. I was a mess. And the most shocking thing about all of this is the overwhelming support I got, not just from the running journey. I mean, people are kind no matter what, whenever you have a great race. But when things weren't going well was when I received the most support. And I really did feel a little embarrassed and timid to share everything I was going through with Hector. I decided to not hold back and just say, I'm really struggling. I'm not in a good place. And I, it was obvious from my Instagram that I was extremely sad. And that's the most support I got throughout this entire thing. And the, the support I re- received was from runners that had decided to request to follow me on Instagram because of the podcast. You know, I, I didn't even know these people. And these people are sending me messages saying, my dog died two years ago. This is what the grief process was like for me, sending me poems and messages about things that helped them get through the process. And they made me feel so much less alone. It's like, it's, it's weird that you connect with someone through running, but then you end up feeling so close because runners, yes, we have a lot in common, but I do think that we are social people that like that connection that you get through running and then you find out that it extends and extends in other parts of your life. So if I could say thank you, I would say thank you to people for being so kind to me when I decided not to run, which is the funniest thing of all of this. It's like, I thought, you know, I thought, well, if I don't run, like I'm going to let people down that have been following the journey But instead of letting them down, they let me know, like, you're just being a real human being. And I appreciate you being honest that it's time for a break. Yeah, I've taken so much from this. This has been really exciting to see. And I, you know, I, I, as most people do, right, you, you, you watch somebody that you're really interested in, you, you, you know, figure out what's going on and you'd like to follow. And then usually at some point, if not throughout the whole thing, you kind of transpose it onto your own life, right? Almost like a little like, 
you know, if you're old enough to remember these, <laughs> like you're like your math class, right? You got like the overhead projector, you got like the math sheet, and then you got the math sheet on top of the math sheet, right? It's like all of a sudden you're like you're transposing on top of your own life and saying, okay, well, how does this, what can I learn from this and, and take from it and say, okay, how can I, you know, be better learning, you know, and, and so I have to learn these lessons myself and take from, from this experience and, and, uh, and grow from it. Um, and that's exactly what happened to me, man. Like I'm, I'm in a situation now where I've looked, Hey, Alexis McCoy can do some of this stuff. Maybe I'm not going to have the exact same journey as her. And maybe I'm not gonna have the exact same times as her, but shoot, she did awesome stuff and she's just a normal person just like I am. And it's really interesting to see and really exciting. And I know that I'm not the only one with that said, you just had an unbelievable fall. You set PRs back to back and you were on, you were projected to set another PR after that. And we're definitely in, whether you did or didn't is immaterial. You were, you had the, you had the training to set you up for it, which is really the most, the most important thing, because as we know, especially at marathons, anything can happen on race day. So the longer the race, the less predictable it can become. Um, the ultra, the ultra runners listening to this are raising their hand yeah. uh, accordingly. So with that said, building on all of this, what does 2022 look like for you? And what is, what are you excited about? I am so excited because this just gave me, this experience gave me a totally different perspective and it let me get, it let me change my goals for 2022. I had kind of planted some seeds during the fall when I was just grinding out these long runs of like, I'm so excited and I'm enjoying this, but I can see on the horizon that I don't want to just like keep cranking out marathons. I kind of want to change it up. And so this experience gave me different thoughts of like, well, what are the big goals that I've been putting off? And I think we all do that. We get in this mindset of, get a new marathon PR, qualify for Boston, and you can focus on that for years, years and years and years and think, I'll get to those other non-running related goals or, uh, you know, just a funky race, like, you know, an ultra marathon or something, if you've never done one before. And so all these goals that I've put on the back burner for the past four years, while I took my marathon time from 338 to 308, I've decided 2022 is the year for them. So luckily, I get to run Boston in 2022, so I will be training for Boston. I will be um, doing a bunch of path marathons leading up to Boston. I'll do Austin half marathon in January, Mesa half in February, most likely one in March. I haven't picked yet. Then Boston. The day Boston is over, I'm switching over to uh, shorter weekly distance, uh, focus on 5K and mile speed. But also, I am going to run rim to rim of the Grand Canyon. I am going to do a century ride on my road bike. I am going to take adult swim lessons and and um, sign up for a triathlon. Look at this! Look at this! <laughs> Side Just note: that stacking I... <laughs> stacking challenges. I love I it. Don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to swim, which people don't believe me, but I can barely, I mean, I guess technically I can, I can keep my head above water, but after about 30 seconds, I start to drown. It's, it's, you know, a problem. It's a problem in my adult life. So if you feel like following along on my journey as I take adult swim lessons. <laughs> <laughs> 
feel free. As someone who took adult CCD in preparation for my wedding, I can I can relate to the feeling that you're about to embark on. Mm. Um, so, no, actually, I, this harkens back to when Mike Co, uh, better known as Kafuzi, came on the show a few months ago, and he was like, "Oh my god, I did a triathlon, and like, you know, there's a big difference between floating and swimming." As we yes. all know. Uh, so this is really, really exciting. I will say, little pitch, if you're willing to go to Austin and you're willing to go to Mesa, maybe you're willing to come to Rhode Island for the Crazy Clam Half Marathon, which I'm running in March. So oh, in preparation for my own in preparation for my own marathon. So I'm running Eugene Marathon May 1st, <gasps> which I'm really excited about. So I am also on the hunt for half marathons. So just so you know, I think it's March 20th. Well, we'll um, I should know that better. However... You know what? This makes me like, this is why I keep my iPhone next to me while I'm recording this, not only to look up the Dunning-Kruger effect while I'm in the middle of a podcast, <laughs> while my- That's while like my, you're looking up. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking it up. Crazy Clam, Half Marathon. Dave, keep this in. Dave is my um, fantastic producer who just crushes it all the time. All right, March 13th and 14th. So that might not work for you. However, um, that's the weekend. Um the crazy clam half marathon here in Rhode Island, up and down uh, the East Bay. Um, I'm sure Maurice, the marathon panda, who was last week's guest, will also be yes. running. He runs every single race I in Rhode Island, and him. he will almost certainly be running this one as well. And as a side note, since you're the timing of your marathon, there uh, the following week, I think it's March 20th, whatever that following Sunday is, Eastern States 20 miler. That's also the week of the New Bedford marathon half marathon. Have you ever run New Bedford? No. That one is loaded, loaded with talent. It's okay. like all okay. the all the people who live in New England who are preparing for Boston run New Bedford. It's insane. I my my fastest ever half marathon was there. I really have run a lot of half marathons, frankly, and it was it was 2011 ish. So it was about ten years ago. Um, I was preparing for a marathon. No, 2012. So I was preparing for the Rhode Island Marathon, the Providence Marathon. And so I ran the New Bedford half and just as a workout. And I freaking crushed it. Right. More, really like 132 flat. Wasn't, I didn't even why didn't have a watch. I was just running it. Just like, all right, I'm going to run a good pace, whatever. Feel good, whatever. I was just happy. Um, and I, so I ran 132, which is like, hey, that's, I was really excited about that time, whatever. I finished like 570th. Like it was like I wasn't it's even one the top one hundred yeah. like in my age group. Yeah. And like if you look at like this the, the crazy clan that I'm running, like if I ran one thirty two, I'd win. Yeah. New Bedford, <laughs> I came I barely came to the top thousand people. Isn't that funny? As a runner, you're like, I won. I won this five K. And then next week in a five K, you're one thousandth. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Keeps you um, humble. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. All right. Alexis, thank you so much for sharing so much of your life and your journey with us the past few months. It really has been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you to everyone for the support during this process. And also when um, Hector died, it, it truly meant a lot to me. And just especially after 2020 and another tough year in 2021 for all of us during the pandemic, at the end of the day, it feels really good to just not feel alone. Alexis, thank you so much for coming back on the show to wrap up the Marathon Milestone series. Such a good one. Alexis was just awesome. She was the perfect person to have on this. Uh, just so thoughtful, so driven, 
experienced, but also trying new things. She just hit all the notes and I'm just so excited and just so grateful that she was able to do that. So Alexis, talking to you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you haven't done so already, go check out eugenemarathon.com today. If you're not running Boston, if you're not coming to New England, and hopefully we'll do some, some fun Boston stuff. I'm only like 45 minutes away from Boston where I live. Um, but if you're not heading to Boston, head to Eugene. It's going to be great. That's for sure. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.